Mayhem, martial arts, and mind control. Welcome to Marvel vs. Marvel. It's a podcast where a comedian who has never read a Marvel comic book before in his life watches a Marvel movie or TV show and then quizzes someone, another comedian. This one is a Marvel expert. This one was taught to read using Marvel comics. It's the yin and the yang of the Marvel experience. Uh, welcome to the uh, Spider-Man 1977 edition. Um, I'm Rob Holden. I'm a comedian, I'm a writer, and I'm also the Marvel expert in the equation. And joining me in that equation, he's the equal sign. It's the man <laughs> that knows nothing at all. It's Will Preston. I, I, at first, it's like, oh, he's the equal sign. I thought, great, I have an important function. But then there's stuff, and it's like, no, he's he's rubbish. Well, you X. should be the X, shouldn't you, actually, in that equation? You should be the, the, the unknown. Un- the unknown. That's, that's actually, unknown's nicer than useless, because like, unknown sounds I sexy didn't, don't, and mysterious. I didn't say useless at all. At no point did I say useless. You, you said useless. You I said, said he uh, knows nothing at all. Ugly. Uh, uh, no, this is just gammy you legs, talking to a mirror. Yeah, look, 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 I can read between the lines, Rob. Don't treat me like an idiot. This podcast features us taking a look at the very first Spider-Man movie of all time. The original 1977 TV movie, The Amazing Spider-Man. Um, very excited for this one. Coming up, we'll go behind the scenes on the making of the very first Spider-Man movie. We'll take a look at the unofficial fan films that preceded it, including one that got the blessing of Stan Lee. We'll dive into Spider-Man's powers and find out exactly how does he stick to walls and exactly how strong is this masked man plus we'll examine his amazing web shooters his costume his very first mission and the time that howard the duck fought an army of old people it's marvel versus marvel blasting through the summer months um the final day of july it will be upon general release and we're crashing towards august um i do enjoy our summer season will I do I, enjoy our summer season. I enjoy the summer season. I, I do enjoy our summer season when we handle all this stuff. But man, I do not enjoy recording in summer. That said, not too bad today. <laughs> it's raining. Yes, that's a nice fresh, Brit- fresh day today, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. British um, summertime, we call that. <laughs> British September's going to be really warm though so that's what happened. we'll figure that one out um, yeah. as it's the very last day we've been running a trial on Patreon that's been really cool um, for the month of July um, and if you're listening to this on day of release the 31st of July it's the last day in the month of July um, you can sign up and get a 7 day free trial of our incredible bonus episode tier loads of people have been doing that that's been really cool to see Will mm. all these people joining up and and then some of them matriculating and becoming Fully fledged members of the, uh, the of the community, the community, and others. Just, sorry, I just had a sandwich before we started recording, and it's just slightly <laughs> repeating on me. It was really good. It had salami in it and everything. Um, well, hello. Yes. So, so if, if you're listening on the last day and you want to get your hands on that free trial, today's the last day you can do it. If it's the 31st of July, we're only running it for July. Um, and so head on over to Patreon.com/slash/Marvel versus Marvel, and the the bonus tier, the bonus episode tier, the VIEP tier, you can get a seven day free trial. Um, that's been super cool to do. People can, and we're we're like some. I know some fans have got podcasts and they're like oh we can't do that they'll be able to listen to uh, all the bonus things in seven days and then just leave we laughed at that we mocked those people it was there's funny no, there's, 
There's absolutely no way you could get through all our bonus content in seven days. You'll you you just too, you'll you'll choke on our content and pass away before you get through it all. So we were very confident and ballsy about saying, "Go ahead, try and binge all we've got in seven days because you um, will die." Over seventy episodes, will, will over die. seventy episodes. Um, Podcast death <clears throat> and. <laughs> Podcast death. Um, it's going to be a big show. It's going to be an exciting show. It's going to be a fun, light-hearted show. And then we get ready for the next one. Oof, we're not saying anything just yet. At the end of the show, we'll let you know. Some people are in the know, know already who's in the know. If you don't know, you get to know at the end of the show. It's our biggest show ever, the next deep dive. Our biggest show ever. I can't overstate that. It's the biggest blockbuster we've ever looked at. It's the biggest show we've ever done. This one is going to be epic. We're going to have to stick around to the end of the show when we <laughs> announce that. This is kind of like me and Will. I don't know. This is this is a fun. This is almost like a dessert before me and Will have to chow down on a huge, huge steak and potato main course oh, in the next deep dive. As we all know, you definitely have dessert before you have steak. That's the way it goes. That's like a drug addict thing. This, I think that's it's like the last. <laughs> I'm sure it's a, it really is. I think it's the last meal that like Kurt Cobain had or something. It's a whole thing. What um, steak? Dessert then steak. Dessert and then yeah, just eat dessert first oh, and then. No. I know. Yeah. Right. Anyway, yeah, anyway not, that's fun the... on the Marvel show. Stop yeah. talking about suicide. Journey with me now, if you will. And in this this episode, it's all about brainwashing. It's time to look at a brain that's been. <laughs> So thoroughly washed and scrubbed that there's nothing left inside. There's nothing. It's, it's like when you rinse out an empty bottle of Coke and you just have to keep pouring and pouring. There's absolutely no trace left within. It's been that thoroughly. This brain has been washed and scrubbed so much that it's absolutely empty. It's the mind of a muggle. It's the mind of the man that knows nothing about Marvel Comics. It's Mr. Will Preston. I I I know, I know some stuff about Marvel comics, obviously from you. God, no, no. We turn you at the end of every episode. We tip you up, <laughs> and we whack your bottom until all the knowledge comes tumbling out of the neck. That's how it works. That sounded mildly horny. <laughs> <laughs> so now, yes, this is we've we've had a response to this, and we'll get to that in the mailbag. Like very few episodes we get. Um, a lot of people wanted to talk to us about this uh, about this movie, um, and 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 I remember I have big 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 memories of this. Mm. But I'd be interested to know if you ever came across um, this nineteen seventies Spider Man. I never actually came across this Spider Man. Uh, I was aware of its existence, if that makes sense. I am aware that this sort of thing happened. They did a, uh, a very this short sort episode. of thing. This sort of <laughs> stupid, uh, frivolous thing they did back in the seventies. Like everything in the seventies was frivolous and stupid. I I know they did that, but I think the the main the the main thing that made me go, oh, they, they must they, they must have been a Spider Man film or series back in the day. Was uh, the Kenny Everett sketch? Uh, Kenny Everett, very famous uh, English um, comedian with loads of sketch shows um, in the nineteen seventies and stuff that we watch on repeats. And well, I would watch on repeats in the eighties. I always forget how old you are. It's no, no. I, I watched. I watched it. Some of it as a kid. Watched it, some of it as a teen. He's man. He's, he's still hilarious. He's very unique performer. Also, he was best mates with Freddie Mercury as well. They both died around the same time. But let's move away from that. Anyway, the uh, Kenny Everett sketch was basically him dressed as Spider-Man running down the side of a building, but he's clutching his his, his uh, groin because he needs a wee. 
And then he goes through a window, you know, and someone says, oh, you know, gives him the signal, bathroom's over there. And he's like, ah, he comes to the urinal, like with, uh, you know, all, all spread out going, yes, there it is, there it is. And then he realises he hasn't got any flies on and can't unzip to go to the toilet. And then, <laughs> and then he's like panicking and then suddenly he stops. And shakes his leg because it's clear the, the wee's gone down his leg. <laughs> it's just, if, you, if you can, go and hunt down the clip on YouTube. I watched it the other day when I was uh, doing the notes for this podcast and I was still howling. It's uh, very good. But that's my only thing that I knew, that made me realise, oh, there must have been. And you felt, that was, you felt it was indicative of like they're copying something from television, not like from, from, from comics. I think you're probably right. I don't, yeah. think, I don't think anyone doing a sketch show is going to say, oh, hey, let's do a sketch based on a comic book series. No. Oh no 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 no! Um, not not enough broad not enough broad reach with that. But yeah, it was a TV show definitely. Like how an awful lot of the um, Superman sketches that you'd see all over the place would be to do with running into a phone box to get changed. They're not taking that from the comics because I don't know if it ever happened in the comics, but they're taking it from the the movies, the or the or the um, the George Reeves kind of uh, TV series in the in the fifties. Yeah. Um, those things that kind of transcend and, and move into pop culture, and those are a good indications of you know that, that it has like Spider Man has been pop culture since the sixties. It really has, oh, but God, yes. It's an indi- it's an indication that it really has kind of like moved beyond its uh, its own its own realm. I um, see. I have so your what what do you think your first Spider Man experience was on on screen? Would it have been the the cartoons at some Ooh, point? I think it might have been seeing a clip of the nineties cartoon. Definitely. Wow, that could be first. That. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, and then obviously, of course, there was a two thousand and two movie which everybody saw. Everyone yeah. Saw. But yeah, that was pretty much my first experience. I mean, I knew Spider-Man existed before I saw the cartoon, but it's one of those it's one of those things like I you know, before I read an issue of 2000 AD and saw the 1995 Judge Dredd movie, I knew Judge Dredd existed. Mm. Because you see adverts, you see pictures in various media, and like obviously you're going to see pictures of Spider-Man in various media. Interestingly enough, 1977 is the very first appearance of Judge Dredd in the first issue of 2018. You're um, absolutely right. What a little tie we've got there. Yeah. It's interesting because I think because because of your age, you probably would have, uh, whether, you, whether you did experience it and don't remember it, but I think you probably missed this period in the 80s where this, the, the TV series that this is kind of a, a pilot to, a TV movie pilot mm. for, was repeated on 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 the BBC, um, and I remember that being a big thing and having it taped and stuff. And I remember as a kid, not only like this this series and this being on the BBC, and there being videotapes available that we'd get, but also things like Spider Man and his amazing friends was um, repeated and broadcast on the BBC when I was mm. when I was a child in the eighties as well. So there was a lot. I felt like there was a. To me, it felt like like we talked about with Superman. You said that great kind of phrase that Superman's ubiquitous. He kind of always been there, always been um, there. In, yeah. in, in in so many different forms and mediums. Spider Man in, in the eighties was was very similar for me. I think it felt like the major kind of characters had this kind of one two punch of they have cartoons, but they also have live action. Mm. There's a Superman movie. There's a Hulk TV show or movie, and there's a there's a Spider Man movie, and Batman was the same. And yeah, I think that. I, I mean, I have just I, I rewatched the the movie for our, our our podcast experience and was flooded. Will was flooded. Rem- I remember every frame. <laughs> I, I I watched and rewatched this endlessly as a kid. Um, I I remember 
I remember the TV series being on the telly, mm. um, and we didn't have a VHS recorder, all that kind of stuff. So recording it was difficult. Um, I remember we'd have to borrow, I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast, we'd have to drive to my granddad's house and ask to borrow the video machine, the video player, the VHS player, and then <laughs> pile it into the car, drive back to our house, and then once we've got it, then we could go out and rent a video from what was known as Video World at the time. Video World. Or there was one before it that just was a, a door. There was like a it was it was really was a um a back kind of a back alley in my hometown and there were like two shops and you accessed it off the main street by like a green door that had no window on it it was it was like a a wooden door to the to the back of a bunch of houses and two of the houses had been converted into shops and you went down this little this little kind of alley and there was the only video store in town for a while we may have got it from there that's also where i rented kid chameleon from oh you're speaking my language hello you could rent the video games as well kid chameleon it's brilliant. I just have such strong, strong memories of watching this again and again, mm. and trying to sneak it in, trying to watch it in in the in the in the morning before you went to school. Right mm. when you'd you'd, yeah. you'd, you'd, you'd yeah. wake up and you'd eat breakfast, and you, you'd have what would you maybe have twenty minutes? You might have Precious twenty time. minutes to kind of play or to yourself, and you're like, and your yeah. your parents are like, we can't do anything. We're about to leave for school, and you're like, no, I am a child. I have ages, <laughs> and I I have to watch the best bits of this Spider Man movie. And I would fast forward through the bits I didn't want to watch, and then mm. play the the bits with the superpowers and the climbing the walls and the fighting. I can remember doing that like on such a regular basis of. If I if school will be okay if I can just treat myself to this 1970s Spider-Man movie with Nicholas Hammond, that'll set me up for the day. A 40 yeah. year old man playing Spider-Man. <laughs> do, do Do you know what I was watching before I went to school? Uh, on because we because we had cable. I was watching. Boo. Boo. I and I was the first one on it. I was watching Pokemon before I went to school. Man, that's so bizarre because to me, Pokemon... Pokemon is su- it's denote it's such a big thing in my mind yeah. of one of the things that is telling me I'm just too old for kid like in, to me when Pokemon came out I'm like I am too old for this kid stuff I'm too old for like mm. some cartoons and that being a thing I can remember when the Godzilla cartoon came out I went oh, yeah it's not because I'm that. too old it's because that's a crap cartoon but then when Pokemon came out I can remember thinking to myself a little bit like Power Rangers thinking to myself yeah. I would be so into this but I'm just too old like what year do you know what year it would have been this would have been oh god this would have been late very late 90s early noughties because i remember getting a game boy at the time and getting Pokemon. oh god i would have been way i would have been way too old for it then yeah i was i was just about very early teens sort of age and i was getting right and it was great also it was in a weird way watching a cartoon was my first step into watching anime this was a big thing for me because I, I, I kept seeing anime being advertised in various gaming magazines and I never got round to watching it. And Pokemon was the only thing I could get yeah, my hands that, on. That Venn diagram of people that play video games and people that like anime, it's a it's a one full circle, isn't it? Yeah, it's mad. <laughs> Man, so that you didn't grow up with this uh no. with this you didn't see and was it a similar experience with the with the Hulk, the Luferengo Hulk? Oh the Luferengo Hulk oh, no, I watched that as a kid. I've, See, that's interesting. I wonder. I wonder what that and why that is. I think. I think it's basically because it must be down to no, repeats. I, it must be down to it, the availability of it. 
Could be down to availability, could be down to repeats. I think it was because you've got to do all these stunts with Spider-Man and it's hard to do. But with the Incredible Hulk, you just paint Lou Ferrigno green and have him lift up stuff, which is easier how to would, do. How would that prevent you from watching it? I Okay. Okay, I, I need to put. I need to put. What I need to do here is put several steps. I think that led to more episodes being put out, leading to more popularity right. of it, leading me to watching more of the Incredible Hulk than Spider Man because there were more episodes. There were more, more episodes. Yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Sorry, I had to. I had to, I had to put in my. I had to show my working there because you don't have we, an imagination. Sometimes when we go into the mind of the Muggle, there's still caverns and caves that he hides things in, so we don't know what we're talking about. Yes, I think you. you, you I mean, there definitely were loads more episodes of the Luferengo, uh Bill Bixby series. Um, Spider-Man was very, very, very popular at the start. The movies were, and then kind of, uh, I guess, didn't become less popular. And Do in you this know country, why? it didn't have a catchphrase. <laughs> yeah, maybe. C- maybe. Come on, when you think about seventies, eighties, Incredible Hulk, you go, ah, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. And like, great. And then with Spider-Man, we have no catchphrase. You could, yeah, don't make me uh, webby. You wouldn't like me when I'm... Don't make me Spider-Man. You wouldn't like me when I'm... Sp- I think- I'm putting on the mask. I'm becoming... Sp- <laughs> <laughs> having, having, I, I think there's a lot of, of fun in this in this movie. Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, that being said, when we looked at the, the Bill Bixby Hulk, mm. it was a different level of... The drama... Like, yep. that was just like a great... 70 is slightly older but you know what i'm i, I still watch this day you, you know you'll, you'll watch some of the columbos and uh those kind of things come up and as long as you can appreciate an older style of making something yeah this bill the bill bixby series was really good there was the acting was great some of the tension and the drama and things and it bounced along at a great pace i think as just as a product overall mm. the 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 bixby series the hulk series it, it head and shoulders better than this this Spider Man series. Absolutely, this Spider Man series is a bit more in line with like Wonder Woman series. Yeah, it's not quite as camp and 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 silly, um, but it's it's but it's very it's 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 only barely trying to be. It's not trying to be really serious. Um, whereas the, there's so much pathos in the Bixby series. Oh, absolutely. I mean, come on, the ending theme is one of the pathos most pathos written yeah. pieces of musical TV. And what we had in this in this country as well in the seventies before either one of us was around um, is that they they took these um, these TV movies and broadcast them uh, in the well broadcast them they released them on on the cinema in limited theatrical release mm. um, and they did so with several of the episodes as well they they put together a bunch of the episodes and kind of and I remember those being available in, in video stores um, the, the kind of like three or four of the of the TV movies which led to me to believe as a child there'd been like four proper like Superman style movies of Spider Man, <laughs> and I didn't quite understand what this TV series yeah. was. Um, what a hell of a way to uh, to bring Spider Man to the screen, just like barely a decade after he was first created. Tragging ourselves out of the murky cavern of the mind of the Muggle that is Will Preston. Be nice. <laughs> we. Uh, we reach for our utility belt, and on our utility belt, uh, strapped around our waist, much like Spider-Man's utility belt, you see, there is a a signal, a signal right in the middle of the belt. We hiss that signal, and it shines a red beam onto the wall, 
and it doesn't illuminate with the face of Spider-Man. No, that's copyrighted. <laughs> it illuminates with the face of Mr. Hollywood, and it rises him to action and brings him Mr. to... Mr. Uh, Hollywood! Brings him to the podcast. Mr. Hollywood is the only man who can dive into the dumpsters, dive into the rubbish bins and the trash cans of Hollywood, and bring us all the dirt that we need. Yes. The behind the scenes and the glitz and the glamour. What happened uh, to make this movie possible? Mr. Hollywood, you have to tell us. Well, let's start from the beginning. The first time a Spider-Man uh, was made, uh, it was an unofficial, unauthorized, fan-made short film in 1969. In the 50s and 60s, Donald F. Glutt made a total of 41 amateur films on subjects ranging from dinosaurs to unauthorized adaptations of such characters as Superman, The Spirit, and finally... Spider-Man. Donald Glut. Glut is not a cool name. I'm just going to go out there and say it. I See, I would uh, change it to Glute. At least it sounds like buttocks. <laughs> Why would that be better? I don't, actually, yeah. I, mm. Sorry, I don't mean better. When I say better, what I mean is funnier. Yeah, no, you <laughs> wouldn't do it to yourself. Glut. Gl- oh, there's no way of making that sound powerful or don't sexy, so. is there? Jeez. Don Glut. Glut you, you, Hi, the name's Don Glut. And all I can see is Augustus Gloop from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> Glut achieved the wall climbing scenes by turning the camera sideways and having Spider-Man crawl along the floor. Glut persuaded a projectionist into showing the short at a theatre showing student shorts from the University of Southern California. Glut would go on to become a successful screenwriter, writing episodes of Transformers, G.I. Joe, as well as Spider-Man and X-Men cartoons. What wow. a full circle for Donald, for good old Don Glut. That's really good. I like that. In 1969 is like... Mm. Like a like a handful of years after the character has been. I mean, his first he's, he we I think when we looked at our first Spider Man, second Spider Man movies, we talked about how um, the students were canvassed for like who are the most important and recognizable kind of <laughs> social figures, um, and along with kind of like political figures of the time and, and and bob dylan and stuff it was spider-man was in there in the top five so he he was he was really a smash hit sensation with young people very early on so to see a yeah a 1969 fan movie being made that's mad um, i believe donald glutt played spider-man in the movie <laughs> i love it i this is what i love about amateur stuff like that it's like yeah i edited shot and starred in the film yeah it brings me back to my student days in 1974, student filmmaker Bruce Cardozo made a short fan film called Spider-Man vs. Craven the Hunter. It was an extremely ambitious movie given all the special effects Cardozo wanted to include and it took an entire college year to make. Cardozo adapted issue 15 of The Amazing Spider-Man and even wrote to Stan Lee to get his blessing. Cardozo received a very enthusiastic letter of approval from Stan, providing the film was a student project and limited to a non-commercial showing. When the film was about three quarters finished, the students gave Stan Lee, Roy Thomas and other members of the Marvel Comics bullpen a preview of some of the key scenes of the film. Marvel were very impressed and enthusiastic about the results and encouraged them to finish the project. How amazing is that? That's so that is that's to, that's a dream. That's a dream that is. Back in the day when you could like write to somebody at, at, like the head of Marvel yeah. and get a response cuz you know, you know, we've got a few letters but yeah, and and uh to win their to win their tacit approval, you know. Man, it's, I mean to get that approval, to get that, you know, it is is worth doing the film alone. 
That's, 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 I spe- that's, yeah, yeah. I suppose also it's kind of like, go ahead, kid. As long as you don't break any laws and show it to people for money, yeah. do what you want, I suppose. <laughs> the film was occasionally shown at comic book conventions, but Cardozo protected the only copy of the film and never allowed it to be uploaded to the internet as he felt it would be a betrayal of the blessing he received from Stan Lee. I remember this being talked about in Wizard um, comic book magazine um, over the years, which is kind of like a, you know, it, Wizard kind of... Wizard Magazine, it's a bit like Empire Magazine for movies and stuff, but it's also, it's so much more fan-written and created that I would say it's actually a bit more like, it's like a comic book convention turned into a magazine. And I mm. definitely remember the, a, a lot of talk and references and jokes about the Cadozo film. Um, and and yeah, I've, I've never, I've seen stills from it. And the, the thing that everyone talks about is how good the costume looks. Um, even at this age, seventy four, uh, this year seventy four, and Craven Hunter looks kind of good. But they were doing like they they built, they built like to have Spider Man jump off the edge of a building. The students built a set at the edge of a building set, like the Excellent. rooftop edge, Excellent. and they had like mat, they had like a kind of like a green screen background so that. Yeah. The Spider Man could web swing over different different kind of backdrops, and gotcha. they, he, there's a lot of lot of special effects that were went into it for a, a bunch of students to to put together. It was um, it was something else. See, this and is why. Then, sorry, yeah. The 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 only copy of the film has been destroyed. Um, oh bloody hell! Wow, that's commitment. I I no, I don't mm. I I can't I, I know um, Cordozo has passed away. Yeah. And I don't know what it was on. It, the only copy was on one of his computers, and it has been destroyed. The only digital copy, and it has been destroyed. Uh, whether that was, I, I for some reason I'm thinking there was a fire, but I might be wrong. Um, um, and I'm, I'm assuming there's actual film stock somewhere o- over the years. Uh, but it might yeah. have been d- d- diminished. That, uh, that's what I love about those old time special effects. I mean, we can do everything now with CGI, but I I love like seeing some of these old special effects especially when you see like uh, and you know something so simple but but effective like when you watch um behind the scenes of the first star wars film and they're doing like oh yes this is how we did the the pit the, the point of view from the x-wing going down the death star trench and they're literally <laughs> in a car park with miniature models and stuff yeah, zooming yeah. the camera in and they're there going like how did they make this look so good? It's just like it because they they knew the te- they knew the technical limitations. They knew what they could do. And they knew what they could do to make it look good. I'm I'm just such a huge. I I don't know. Well, I do know that it's it's a it's commercial and, and financial. But I I just I, it's not a wholesale rejection of CG. I I just mm. practical effects will always be better. Yeah. Like the 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 reason I go to see the Mission Impossible films. <laughs> yeah. Is largely because I want to see real goddamn stunts, and it, I'm it, it, yeah. you are bereft of them. There is there used to be it used to be why you'd go, especially when they when they brought the series back with Goldeneye. I remember I was what, I was uh, James Bond Bond. Yeah, I, I remember yeah. being at this 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 kind of age of my life where I was kind of paying attention to movies a little bit more. Mm. I was how how old is early teens or something, and I remember watching these making of things that they'd show on television and, yeah. and reading and, and finding out that it was the the world it had the world record for the highest bungee jump of all time the, yes. the, the shot at the beginning of Goldeneye on the dam and being really into it and then when I watched the movie I'm like oh my god like and even and I know that you they're still using special effects 
but there's a lot of practical effects involved, so it looks yeah. just looks better. And you know, some the Bond stuff was still doing it during Daniel Craig. We're still doing some practical stuff, you know. Yeah, there was. The Bond movies are so much better because they there's so much practical effects going on. The car chases are incredible in the Bond movies. They're very um, physical. They're very yeah. physical. And 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 the, the, you know, I will whatever I think of Tom Cruise as a person. I just desperate to see these these practical effects, and I sign up and buy a ticket every every other year when it's out. I'm I'm the I'm the same. Like I, I those Mission Impossible films, the one that made me go, maybe I need to get into this more because I only saw the first one, and then I went through the whole series. Was I think number five? I saw the trailer in the cinema where he's hanging onto the side of the plane, and it's like, oh yeah, they did that stunt for real. He was. Oh hanging. my god, yeah. And I was like. <laughs> I have to see this movie. I have right? to see this movie and the other... It's like, yeah, you've, you've got my attention from that alone. The, the if that was best, CGI, I'd be like, oh, that looks cool, right? You know. The best advert for these Mission Impossible movies is the is the kind of the behind-the-scenes bit where they went, oh, yeah, Tom, Tom Cruise went into space and killed an alien. He definitely really did it, and we filmed it. You know, those are the ones <laughs> where you go, oh, my God, I've got to see this madman do this thing. Absolutely. Then, I mean, nothing but respect in terms of his graph for that. I still really love the first one. I'm a big Brian mm, De Palma fan. It's very And I think good. it's 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 really good fun, and it's very close to the... Uh, not very close, but it has a lot of nice elements from the TV show that I fondly remember. I love the third one. I don't like the second one, really. second one's a fever dream. Yeah, and the third one, because they bring in uh, one of my favourite actors, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and he's <sighs> just such a vile, one of the best villains of all time So, such a good in that actor. movie. Yeah. Anyway, we're not here to talk about Mission Impossible, bro. <laughs> that was but a nice... practical effects are going to kind of dominate this, this, this episode, I really. They are. Anyway, during the mid-1970s, Marvel Comics publisher and Spider-Man's co-creator, Stan Lee, sold CBS the rights to produce a primetime live-action Spider-Man series to be made by producer Daniel R. Goodman. Nicholas Hammond, who found success playing Friedrich von Trapp in The Sound of Music, was cast as Spider-Man. Looking back on approaching the TV show, he said, At first, I was reluctant, because the only show that had ever been on TV like that was Batman, and I was not interested in being in something like that. It had its own value, but that was not really for me. The pal zoom zap stuff. And the producers said, We want this guy to be a real guy. We want viewers to get involved in his life, his story. And I thought... What a challenge. Take a sort of fanciful character and convince the viewers he is real. Make them forget that essentially what they are watching is a comic book character. That was something I wanted to do, and they offered me the job. The disdain that people have when they make 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 the it's just it's not just watching a comic book character. Like, okay, Nicholas. Okay, Nicholas. <laughs> yeah. like, how do you, why do you think it's so important to people and why it's so popular in getting a movie? Because it's it's involving and investing, and people like this mood. It reminds me this morning. I I got reminded of two different quotes uh, from actors who are in sort of superhero and superhero adjacent uh, films. One was Alfred Molina. Uh, remembering uh, filming Spider-Man 2 and there was a bit where on the soundstage of him and Rosemary Harris are basically being suspended because they're doing that scene where on the, on the side of the building yeah. and he said they, they're up there for quite a long time and they ran out of small t- small talk and then Rosemary Harris while being like suspended above in the air just said to him I'm classically trained you know <laughs> <laughs> another one um, was Bob Hoskins when he was doing the Super Mario film when he took when he when he was at like getting ready for it he just said to someone like i used to play king lear <laughs> i know these things like people think that you know obviously the first one's more fanciful the second one's a bit more bitter but like you know l- looking at things like oh, i used to do better than this it's like yeah but it's still hopefully going to be a big thing you know it's going to be <clears throat> not so yeah. much the super mario brothers movie 
Yeah, I suppose yeah. it kind of it, it kind of brings down like why are you doing these movies? Like, yeah, you're doing them to to pay the bills. I guess. I mean, it's, it's, I I do find that the problem with an awful lot of actors is they're far too up themselves. <laughs> anyone, I, I I would I would not limit that to acting. I say anyone in the creative industry, but that's me. Except for lots me. of lovely people, but lots of except uh, for me. Right. Except for me, right, Will? Will, except for me, right? Well, I'm technically in the creative industry as well. If I'm taking you down, I'm taking myself with me. <laughs> uh, that should have been the other way around, shouldn't it? Anyway, I don't care. Uh, the 90-minute pilot was aired in the US and had a theatrical release overseas, earning box office sales of $9 million. I mean, really, I don't know how much it costs to make, but that's... That's, um, that's really that's, good. It's yeah. really good for a TV but, movie. Yeah. I mean, and it, it, in the wake of, you know... Star Wars and things and Superman, like it definitely would have been. Uh, you'd rush out to to see a live action Spider Man movie. Should, this would have been just before Superman, actually, nineteen seventy. True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The pilot garnered a seventeen point eighteen seven point seventeen. Nope. Po- there sorry. we go. The pilot garnered. Here we go. A seventeen point eight rating with a thirty share. CBS That's. Is- I mean, in relation to a kind of modern rating, I suppose, that is absolutely huge. I suppose it probably wasn't at the time, yeah. um, but it's a really big, that's a really big rating. CBS's highest rating show for the entire year. Jeez! How- yeah! That's, However, so- that's massive. However, citing concern over the pilot's relatively weak ratings in the lucrative adult demographic ages 18 to 49, CBS picked up the series for only a limited five-episode order. Those five episodes were aired in April and May 1978. However, after the first 13 episodes, the show was cancelled. Yeah, that's really that's really interesting. So um, this comes up a lot in... in uh wrestling fandom people are very very interested in how popular are the tv shows and how much money the wrestling company is going to get for mm. the tv shows and things like that and ratings comes up a lot and a show can have a really really great rating but if it's not in the key demo the demographic that spends money and the advertisers want um whereas a tv show can have a limited amount of people watching it but if those people if it's like a the the 30 share is the important bit yeah um, and and you know, like how popular? What was its percentage point in that eighteen to forty nine demo? This obviously was a show that had loads of kids watching. Yeah, uh, and kids. This, then, this feels kids like something kind of spend money. Kids. Yeah, I don't know. I, I may. Yeah, maybe. I guess. I. I. I think it's. I think it's trying to have a broader a broad appeal because I think if you're going to make something for kids, I think you actually make something a lot simpler. Yeah, and true. a lot more flashy. This again, it feels like they were they're kind of trying to do some of the. Uh, some of the Faringo kind of stuff. Yeah, that, 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 I, I do get some of that. Speaking about the TV show, Nicholas Hammond said, they started chopping and changing the schedule around and the audience just couldn't follow us. I think they did a very poor job of marketing the show and it's a pity because I think we could have run for a few more years. I used to say, I would really like it if someone turned tuned in late and they didn't know they were watching a show based on a comic book. I would want it to come as a surprise that he's also a superhero. I didn't want the human part to be irrelevant. Did you know, have you found out, like, did Nicholas Hammond play, the, was it him in the costume? I don't know. I assumed it was. Apart from the stunts. I, yeah, I would think for the stunts it wouldn't be. Um, because I have to say, I I think he gives a pretty a pretty good performance. Really, there's there's this interesting thing of the way Spider Man moves in the costume. Mm. It's it's kind of creepy and weird, and it's a it's very different to yeah. how 
to how Peter Parker walks around. And I thought that was quite, that was quite something, you know, that was quite something at the time, the very first time anyone's kind of committed the character to the screen, the first time that anyone's, you know, in, in kind of the nascent early, very, very, very early days of there being any superheroes on, on, on screen. It's. It, I, I think I noticed that it, it is. It's this kind of like he's sneaking around. Creepily. He's hunched, hunched, sneaking. Yeah, yeah. And he turns his head in quite a. You know that dramatic way that Michael Myers turns his head, and yeah. it, it, it overemphasizes that there's a lack of kind of like features on the mask, mm. and so you need to pick up kind of like characterization from a quick head movement. Yeah, and Spider Man does that in this. You know, he jerks his head around as if he's looking, and, and you kind of get it's a. And I remember being pretty creeped out by <laughs> the look of Spider-Man. On the, I'm not sure if I like this. Yeah, I, I get that. Lee and Goodman fiercely clashed over the direction of the That's series. That's Stan Lee and Martin Goodman. Sorry, Martin yeah, Goodman is the publisher of Marvel Comics, and Stan Lee would have been the, I guess, the editor-in-chief, and he's the kind of head of creative at the time. Just a second. That's also the name of... Uh... Paul Ritter's character on Friday Night Dinner. <laughs> I was saying, going, why okay. did that name ring a bell? Sorry. Good. <laughs> Good. We like references. A thing we all know. Good. I'm glad we, we cleared that up. Lovely bit of squirrel. Lee and Goodman fiercely clashed over the direction of the series uh, during initial production. Lee said in an interview for Pizzazz magazine that he felt the series was too juvenile. Looking back on the series, Stan Lee said, the Spider-Man TV the Spider-Man TV series. The Spider-Man TV series I was uh, very unhappy with because very often people will take a novel, let's say, and bring it to the screen and they will leave out the one element, the one quality that made the novel a bestseller. With Spider-Man, I feel the people who did the live action series left out the very elements that made the comic book popular. They left out the humour. They left out the human interest and personality in playing up characterizations and personal problems on a technical level, I think they did a good job. The scenes of him climbing on the wall in those in those days, they didn't have the the wherewithal that they have today, and they did a very good job with that. He means they didn't. Have, he means the special effects were good, and they weren't always good in the seventies. Yeah, they didn't have the wherewithal that they have. Wherewithal? Today. I've never heard of that word before. Well, wherewithal, yeah, I, I don't really 100% know. I think it's uh, Stan's not using it in the right context here. Um, okay, so things we need to remember about Stan Lee. Stan Lee was not involved in the consultation on this series. Mm. That means Stan Lee didn't like it. <laughs> That's how it works with Stan Lee. I like um, it, Stan Lee. He's very consistent. That's Stan Lee uh... also works like this. Uh, was the show a success? Yes, then Stanley will talk about how it's really good and it involved him. Was the show a success? No, then Stanley will talk about how it doesn't work and it's a bad show, right? And it's pretty simple. And he's yeah. a PR publicist guy. Cool, cool, cool. I, you know, always take that with a grain of salt. Um, he's a carnival, but he, he's a carny barker. He was never saying bad things about it while yeah. they were making it or when it was out. But as soon as it got cancelled, and yeah. you know, he could. That being said, I think he's a hundred percent kind of right. The key in yeah. a secret to Spider-Man is not climbing to walls and web swinging. That's that's as I say, it's the sizzle. That's the that's the thing that brings the grabs attention and brings people to the dance. Um, but you know that. But what what makes Spider-Man a success? Is, it stands kind of right. It's the emotional stuff and the humor, and that was all sorely lacking. There was not. There was one funny scene, I think, in the whole in the whole thing. Even by seventy standards, it just didn't really uh, pop in terms of humor. Um, and 
They're, I know they're trying to cram a lot in. I think that was part of the problem. They're trying to cram a lot in, whereas what it should have been really, as we know now with the, for the modern movies, is the dilemma of being Spider-Man, of juggling the two lives and yeah. focusing more on his... You know, on his kind of family family life and stuff like that. Especially with the first episode, I think maybe you don't really need a uh, a bad guy. You can kind of just have some robbers going on. But there we go. <laughs> yeah. Unlike wall climbing scenes on Batman uh, 60, the 60 series, the only previous show to use this, many shots of Spider-Man climbing buildings were done live in downtown New York with invisible wires. You say invisible wires. <laughs> you say, well, I didn't see any. But I saw a again, lot of track on the wall. I didn't see that. I didn't. Well, May, actually, was, maybe it's because I remember it from being a kid. No, do you know why? Because I the, the, the I watched the quality of the video. I watched it was was not good. Same. Yeah. Same. So the thing with the thing with this is that wherever Spider Man is climbing up a wall, there is a thick black line going directly down the middle of wherever his body is, um, <laughs> as he's just clambered onto that. Um, Amazing. Do you remember the, um, the the wall climbing scenes from the the sixties Batman series? Of course, they're the climbing most the iconic ones. For anyone who hasn't seen it, it would be Batman and Robin yeah. um, climbing a bat rope up the side of a building. And the way they filmed it is they're obviously kind of, they're just walking. They've tilted the camera on its side. Yeah. So Adam West and Burt Ward are kind of crawling around on the floor. But when you tilt the camera, it looks like they're going up. Yeah. Um, and what they would marvelously do is have is have actors yes, come out of the this. windows to say, hey, what's going on out here? Who are these crazy kids climbing up the wall? Oh, it's Batman and Robin. Say, how's it going, Batman? And they do all that, and they'd have famous act, famous guest stars. Yeah, like didn't, play the the people in the in the in the buildings coming out to yell at Batman and Robin or say hello and stuff. Did they have just, like Green Hornet uh, pop out of the window uh, in one episode? There's, there's a they may have done. There's definitely a crossover. There's definitely like a a Batman and Robin kind of Green Hornet crossover um, episode. Yeah, yeah. As they they try to re- kind of to to turn the Green Hornet. And get that up and running. I don't think they ever really kind of succeeded, unfortunately. We need to do um, an episode on 60s Batman. We need to do it. I don't care if it's too adjacent. We need to do an episode on 60s Batman. I think maybe we should have, if we wanted to do if we were going to do it. Well, maybe. It, it is kind of, it's probably important to the overall oeuvre of, of Marvel being a thing. But Yeah, yeah I, th- I think I think it's important. The scene where Spider-Man swings from one building to another was considered a dangerous and expensive stunt at oh, the time. Oh, man. And required two days of editing. It, it's it's crazy to watch. I I forgot yeah. that because I've I haven't watched it since I was a kid. And I went, that guy literally just swung, and I can't see any. Yep. Yep. I, I'm I'm hoping there's a safety net way down, but it would have to be way down. There's a yeah. big, it's a big wide shot <laughs> of <laughs> a stuntman with like it looks like a rope swinging from one building to another and landing. It's crazy. It's a Tom yeah. Cruise Mission Impossible style stunt. It's madness. It's it, it's it's amazing because you you watch you watch something ten hundred times more insane with CGI and you go, eh. but you see that it's just it's just a bloke swinging to what bit and you go, damn, that's yeah, that's scary. <laughs> because again, because the CGI just hits you over the head with how unreal it all is. I yeah. Think. Um, like and as you when, said about in the new Indiana Jones film, one scene just felt like a video game. Oh, very much, yeah. Um, that's that, that tends to be what happens when they do the back, where all the backgrounds kind of get get fuzzed up. Yeah. Um, but when something is so, I don't know, and it's it, uh, some. 
maybe it is distracting maybe you aren't going maybe it is distracting from like ah the plot is moving along <laughs> and you're just going oh my god how did they do that but it's thrilling to see thrilling yeah. and we talked about when we looked at the, the, the superman in our superman episode how like the appeal of some of these comic books at the time especially the superman one was that they're showing you things that literally have never happened before yeah, yeah. and there is a spectacle to superman you buy a Superman comic to see him pick something up, to see him lift a train up, to see him throw <laughs> a car around. And as everybody, whether it's adults or kids, are like, this is a visual that's never happened before. And this is a thought I've never had in my head before. There's a spectacle to that. There's always a spectacle to great stunt scenes. Whether mm. they take you out of the movie or not, you're just like, oh, my God. Um, yeah, and that one, that, it's, so it's impressive to have a 70s movie that actually has a scene that made me go, what? Because that's, that's <laughs> not in the Lou Ferengo, Big Bill Bixby Hulk. In that, he, he Big Green Man hammers on a car bonnet for a bit and dents it. <laughs> that's all you get. Like, he throws a tire around occasionally. But you don't get, you know, he smashes through a paper mache wall. <laughs> but there's a real spectacle in, in, in that. And all the scenes where he's, on the walls are kind of aside from the there are some computer effects in this, aren't they? Or superimposed. Yeah. And they're I, I really did spot, terrible. I didn't spot yeah, I didn't spot too many of those again. There's a, there's a few um where where it's clearly like, I don't know, two scenes laid over the top one scene laid over the top of another, and he's not there and he's this this thing moving around and it's very not good. But the stuff where he's actually there and he's on the walls, they that looked interesting and good. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh yes, yeah, it's it's good enough. Finally, and this is quite an interesting one. Uh well, I say interesting. After the 2021 film Spider-Man No Way Home was released, Nicholas Hammond said in regards to a potential cameo and the new actors playing Spider-Man, I think it would have been huge fun. I would have it would have been a kick in the pants to have the old guy there. I was really hoping I would be approached, but unfortunately that didn't happen. Tom Holland's version is the closest to what we were doing, trying to make him a much, very much a real guy, someone who could actually forget he had these powers and get caught up in Peter's story. That's what we were going for. Yeah, I don't think it would have been appropriate in No Way Home. He could no. have showed up in one of the Spider-Verse. Spider-Verse, absolutely. Right? Like, there's um, the, the, the Arrowverse, the DC Arrowverse, do, like, they did it, when they did... Uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths. There was just mm. a lot of wonderful homages to past DC projects, yeah. um, including one where there's a planet. You're going through all these different planets that are having all these different alternate universes that are having horrible destruction and red skies. And mm. in one of them, there's an old man walking a dog. Now, the colours of his sweaters and everything, it's the colours of Robin's reds, the gold, the, oh, the, okay. the green. And it's actually Burt Ward walking the dog. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. Now they didn't. They didn't put him in a costume and they didn't have him try and do something. There was no need for that. But yeah. they they included Burt Ward in this lovely little cameo kind of nod, yeah. um, as well as having like all like they brought Tom Welling back to do the Smallville Superman, and they brought all uh, these different people that uh, in to, to kind of to kind of do it. I will get around to watching it. Don't worry, we'll get around to watching it. You don't have to. It's it's um it's hard to know what to recommend with the Arrowverse stuff. Mm. Like I think I think the second I series. You, I was just... talking about the Flash film. Sorry, I'm not talking about the Flash film. I'm talking about Arrow... Crisis oh. on Infinite Earths. 
Sorry. From the Arrowverse. That's how I started my sentence. Sorry, man. I hope the people at home were paying attention because this guy wasn't. I heard I heard <laughs> multiverse infinite stuff and I went, Oh, that's clearly the Flash movie. <laughs> no, there was there was there was talk about how uh, when the Flash movie came out, people were saying, Yeah, the 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 CW TV shows did all of this like four years ago and managed to do it with a, a, a very loving touch and a lot less budget. Let's go back to 1977 and find out what was happening in the world and give ourselves the full context for this um, this TV movie coming out, the very first Spider-Man movie. Will, what were you doing in 1977? I was not existing. <laughs> no, neither was I uh, either. Um, I'm not far off. I'm... I'm I'm taking a run up. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world as we. Uh, it's it's quite like a. I was surprised at the tech advances that that happened in this year. I really mm. was. Um, the uh, Atari came out. The uh, yeah. Atari. Uh, tw- I, I guess Americans would say twenty six hundred. Yeah. Um, two thousand six hundred is what it actually is. Uh, which becomes the first successful home video game system with Pac Man as the best selling game. Are you a re- do you like know video game history? So do you, is this like a well thought of kind of thing? Is this like a is this like oh the holy grail of this, of video this yeah consoles? this is this this is, this is well I mean it, it's pretty we've pretty much stated it there. This is, is the first major home video game system because they had other ones. I believe, like well, that was similar, sure. that weren't as good. And there was this. I won't get too much bogged down into history. Basically, there was a point in the seventies and eighties where there were way too many home video game systems, and it led to a sort of crash in the market. Yeah, so I remember seeing that on something. Yeah, yeah, it's it's mad. Uh, we've we we've managed to get it down today to just Nintendo, Sony, and Microsoft, and that's it. But yeah. there were there were sometimes bits in like say the nineties where some other companies would come in and. I mean, Sega had a good go at it, but yeah, this was uh, Atari. Still a still a big name for video games, even though they're now just doing uh, just just games and not uh, homes. Uh, the, the the hardware. It was a it was a big year for uh, well, there was a couple of personal computers came on. So the Apple II was released. I don't know what you mm. mentioned about the Apple II, but the big one to really talk about in terms of personal computers, the first all in one personal computer, the Commodore PET. That came along in the 1970s, first as a prototype, and then it was on general release. PET stood for Personal Electronic uh, Transactor. Mm. <laughs> Personal. They were really trying to make that last word kind of spell something. Yeah. Um, it's the first PC to be sold to a regular retail consumer. It was 1977, uh, yeah. and it came equipped with a monitor, keyboard, cassette tape um, to put your programs in. Originally priced, Will. At four hundred and ninety-five pounds, and that went up very quickly. Yeah. And it had. Are you ready for this? Here we go. It was rocking in terms of memory, <laughs> a whopping four kilobytes. Get out! That's <laughs> awful. I hate this. I hate this so much. Do you know how? Do you know how much four memory? Kilobytes. Do you know how much memory storage memory I have? Actually, my PC that I'm doing this on, and some people go, obviously, it's not the best. I have 16 gigabytes of RAM and four terabytes of storage memory. And I tell you, one of the, a lot of that, it's, uh, all, all the physical bits of that combined are only just a bit, just bigger than a tape. Because I use SSDs, so I use solid state. It's just amazing how far we've come. My my granddad, my mom's dad, was he had the first personal computer I'd ever seen ever. Hmm. Um, 
And so I was a kid in, in whatever it was. Maybe it was the late 80s, early 90s. But he was like a tech person. He worked in an office and had been around technology and stuff and computers and things. And he had a computer at home, which we all thought was, oh, a computer. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember those. And uh, and he was always kind of at the forefront of it. It was really interesting. Yeah. Like even into his old age when he was widowed and stuff, he was doing he had email pen friends across the world in australia and america and stuff and he would amazing email them and he would make he would he was also into like video he would he would make little short films and stuff just of not like of any not like a story but just like uh make a short film about the church he went to uh, and make a short film about the, the town he you know and things like that and share them with people he was a very tech guy but i remember that the, the first computer i had was a um was a bbc computer Oh, we talk about the Spectrum. No, no. no. Oh, BB. Yeah, I remember this. BBC did. Ha- was this actual BBC to do with the British broadcasting? I don't. Company? I don't think so. No. But because I remember BBC being a computer. Back yeah. In the day. I yeah. don't think it was anything. To, I remember. You know, it was the old DOS. You know, set up and it was you put your things in. I remember I had a Ghostbusters two video game on it, which I couldn't <laughs> play, and I I had like a. A flight simulator game, which I also yeah, couldn't. Yeah. I was just terrible at it, and but I had oh. the old, the old kind of the old joystick that you plug in and everything, and it was all very complicated. I'll always remember the first computer we got uh, was a Commodore Amiga five hundred, and man, those those are still. I I still think they're a good computer for for what they were. I remember playing on an Amiga, I think, or a Commodore, sorry, my, 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 no, I might think it was an Amiga, um, I think it was, uh, it had, was it Zool, was Zool, Zool the game, yeah, the nin- like the ninja, the ninja, kind of, the black or, ninja guy, yeah. yeah, well, he's not an ant, he's a goblin, I always thought he's an ant, but he's a goblin, apparently, from the nth dimension, but yes, I remember the, I remember the Amiga being something interesting, um, okay, 1974 is also the Silver Jubilee of 1977, the, uh, 1977, sorry, it's because we had 74 earlier, and I the... have, Discalculator. Um, I have to, if I want to write a phone number down, Will, I have to write the numbers out as words. Otherwise, no I, way. I cannot remember. If you, if you, I can't, if I look at a date, I have to do a split screen if I'm booking anything because I have to have the, the numbers right in front of me all the time. As soon as I look away, the numbers have vanished from my mind. Whereas if you write them out as words, I can remember them because I can <laughs> remember a lot of words. Anyway, 1977, the Silver Jubilee of Queen Elizabeth II in this country. Mm. Um, Jimmy Carter inaugurated as the uh, President of the United States, the 39th President. And the GPS is introduced for the very first time. No. In 1977, Navstar released their global positioning system. Uh, of course, it was decades away from being available to the public. Uh, not, like, who's I, using GPS in 1977? The military. It has yeah, to be the military. Anything that. like that, it's always the military using it first. A big year in music. Elvis yes. Presley dies. Or does he? Um, <laughs> 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 what was that line from Men in Black? He ain't dead. He just went home. <laughs> um, Fleetwood Mac releases the Grammy Award winning album Rumours. Yes. One of the greatest albums of all time. And so it's the story of that album is insane <laughs> because. It's, it's, an, it's, it's an album uh, it's a band made up of people in relationships that are all <laughs> cheating on each other and leaving each other they literally all the members are ripped apart from each other yeah. and that is poured into the and they are writing songs about how the other person cheated on them and left them and then the other person has to sing on that song it's incredible <laughs> every song is dripping with like emotion and kind of 
and it's just the like the, the the documentaries and the things written about the recording of it are incredible and it's a great album if you've never heard Very good. um rumors by fleetwood mac i mean in, it's, in, in, incredible album it's almost like bangers one after the other nearly every single song on that album is a hit single it's it's, it's madness unbelievable unbelievable um, after uh, releasing only one single, uh, the <laughs> Sex Pistols are t- have their contract terminated by EMI um, after in response to uh, their destructive behaviour on ITV, the British ITV Today programme, and also uh, at London Heathrow Airport as well. Um, yeah. And that was a tumultuous time. Um, 1977 was a big year for punk, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I guess so, yeah. Um, Queen uh, released We Are the Champions. The top singles of the year, uh, Knowing Me, Knowing You by Abba. Aha! <laughs> I couldn't resist, I'm sorry. Uh, I Don't Want to Talk About It uh, by Rod Stewart. And also, First Cut is the Deepest is the other side of that, and that's the one people remember. Um uh, I feel loved by Donna Summer. Uh, still Don't give a up great on song. Us by yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it yeah. still sounds like the future. That song. <laughs> you just okay. What do I do? What do I? You do? love kind of you love things that have retro stuff in them. Yes. Like and so it so it doesn't it doesn't sound like the future at all. Will yes, it, does. <laughs> it, it does. sounds like an incredibly dated dated seventies record. But at some stage they played it in like a sci fi movie or in a video game or something, and you've attached that to it. No, it does not sound. sound like the future. <laughs> Um, uh, Don't you open up by David Soul and Easy by the Commodores? Um, <sighs> in the world of movies, the first Star Wars film is released, nineteen seventy-seven, uh, launching one of the biggest. Well, it says launching one of the biggest entertainment franchise of all time. I guess it did. That's not what happened in the seventies, though. In nineteen seventy-seven, it was just a film that came out. Um, well, I wrote that bit down because I was like, "How else do I say this?" Because it's such a significant it's thing, an incredibly significant moment. It's incredibly significant. Um, it, it it's first and foremost incredibly significant for cinema and for Hollywood. Yeah. It's the first science fiction fantasy blockbuster. Mm. We'd had blockbusters before. Jaws is recognised as really the first, and we'd established with things like Jaws, and then with things like The Godfather and movies like that, that genre movies, which had been consigned like, like to, in, the, in the history of Hollywood, right? <laughs> These kind of movies, like uh, a, a monster movie, which Jaws yeah. kind of is, and a mafia gangster movie, and a science fiction movie. This was schlock. This, mm. was, this was what was shown in drive-ins to yeah. kids, uh, like for a couple of cents. This is what Grindhouse Cinema was about. This was not proper movies. Proper movies were dramas. Proper movies, you know what I mean? Like th- th- these yeah. things were not commercially successful. And then the 60s through the 70s, this incredible wave um, of, of American US cinema happens. Mm. And it changes cinema forever. And it is the return of genre pieces to mm. the mainstream. And Star Wars is kind of the final piece of that puzzle because it means that suddenly science fiction, which is just this denigrated kind of marked in small little thing, magazines and comic books and meh, yeah. is is suddenly massive, is suddenly proving to Hollywood how big these things can be. It's, um, I do know where you're coming from, although I'm one of those... Uh, really insufferable people 
will go. It's not science fiction. It's space opera. It has more in line with fantasy than sci-fi because science fiction is usually about touching upon uh, sociological things and philosophy using uh, technology and things that, that are yet to come, while Star Wars is saving a princess from evil man. But you a- cannot, with a straight face, argue that a movie with lasers and robots and spaceships isn't science fiction. It's space I'm not opera. in the pub. You have not cornered opera. me. I'm not... I'm not in my first year of university, man. You can't do this to me. <laughs> I, und- I Like, you just can't. I mean, you can have that conversation and you can talk about themes and that's all cool. You yeah. cannot, with a straight face, argue that Star Wars, which has aliens and robots and laser beams in it, isn't science fiction. I'll blow this podcast up. I'll come <laughs> to your house and I'll destroy it. It says space opera on Wikipedia. Man, you're so lucky I can't swear on this podcast. Five minutes of me cussing you out. Some greasy little nerd wrote space opera on Wikipedia, and it is now fact. I said at the start, sci-fi slash fantasy returns to the, you know, become becomes a big thing. Because there are high elements of fantasy in it, and I'm not going to say there aren't. But it has laser beams and aliens and robots and spaceships in it. science fiction. It is fictional science. There's no science in Star Wars. Anyway, A New Hope brings in something like $460 million. And the other huge thing is that it would do is that show that there's this market for something that is exciting and thrilling for all ages, but also converts into mass toy sales. Um, Although not yet, not for a while. Well, that was the whole deal with uh, Lucas, wasn't it? He said, I will, you know, was it forego some of the money yeah. So I could have a big stake in the toy sales, and they went, ah, whatever. And they didn't realize it would. But it wasn't a plan on Lucas's part. It was just luck, was it? It was just a thing that happened. Oh, I thought, I thought it was him being intelligent. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Like, yeah. it, 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 what's, if you get the chance, the, the Toys That Made Us have a series mm. of documentaries on, on, well, very short, fun, kind of not really documentaries, but yeah, like a docu-series all about the making of, of significant toy lines. That one on Kenner's Star Wars is really interesting. Mm. Um, and uh, mainly because, like, toys, the, the toys don't get released for ages. That first <laughs> Christmas, people were buying a empty box that was a promise of getting a toy. No. Um, because they had no, the toys weren't made yet. It was incredible. That just um, sounds like an NFT. Uh, yeah, except that the actual physical thing arrives. Okay, yeah. <laughs> well, um, there we go. Satellite Fever uh, is released, which sparks a new disco inferno on the basis of the popularity of the soundtrack. Have you seen Saturday Night Fever? I haven't, should I? Yeah, I think okay, you should. So it's I'm, not I'm writing that down. It's not I'm not I don't like musicals. I'm not a musical guy. I don't Me like neither. musicals. This isn't a musical. It's it's actually quite an interesting drama. John Travolta mm. gives a really good performance. Um and it's like an examination of kind of this slightly odd kind of youth subculture and yeah. a quite a lost guy kind of who's got it, it's it's it has similarities with Rocky. Right. Okay, I'm on board now. He he yeah. is he he has this kind of crap life, except for Saturday night when he gets on that dance floor and yeah. he's the king. It's really it's it's quite an interesting movie. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it sounds a bit like Quadrophenia, where it's like, oh yeah, yeah, we're yeah do big, big elements, big elements of that to it. Yeah, and then they see stings the bellboy at the end. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, the 10th James Bond film, The Spy Who Loved Me, uh, premieres in London. It is the third of seven films to star Roger Moore as James Bond, with Moore later calling the film his personal favourite of his tenure with the franchise. I love The Spy Who Loved Me. I think it's probably my favourite of the... Uh, of the well, it's probably of the Moore films. Definitely, say, 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 man, one of the best Bond themes. I still listen to it every now and again. It's just like, yeah. wow, Carly Simon's got a fantastic voice. Yeah, incredible. And, oof, yeah. Uh, big movies of, the, of, of, of 1977, um, Star Wars, um, obviously, and then Close Encounters of a Third Kind, uh, another entry into science fiction kind of uh, crossing into that mainstream, 169 million. Saturday Night Fever arrives at 139 million. Um, Smokey and the Bandit, one of my all-time favourite movies. Right, that's going on the list too. 126 uh, million dollars. And the Goodbye Girl, eighty-three million. I don't think I know the Goodbye Girl. Nope, never, never heard of that. Interesting. That one. Um, let's take a look at Marvel in nineteen seventy-seven. A really interesting kind of year. We're going to go a little bit behind the page with this um, as we look yes. at the comic book industry is experiencing a really, really terrible time. Will. Oh dear. Um, the cost of newsprint, which is the paper that comic books are printed on is rising rapidly and it forces um, both DC and Marvel Comics to do a number of things. The first, they have to increase the cost of a comic book from 30 to 35 cents, which is a Ooh. at the time a massive like it was a really big moment. I still know I'm I'm part of some groups that are called like Comic Bronze Age Comics and Marvel yeah. in the 70s. They still talk about I I had to stop all but X amount of comics when the 35 cent... They talk about the 35 cent increase to this day. Some people say, oh, my mum wouldn't let me read any more comics when they went to 35 cents and things like that. Like, it yeah. was... It used to be... 35 cents, I can't afford to get you any now. It was a, a rough time. It, it sounds like a sort of the price of milk sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or, I mean, I when I worked in a pub, the, I remember the, pri- the price of a pint of Guinness went up by whatever 5p one year yeah. and three customers never came back ever again and this these is- are customers that came in and drank four pints a night every night every night of the week and wow. then that 5p no too much not making the walk i'll i'll walk to the other side of town and find somewhere 5p cheaper i'm gonna spend my money on freddo's instead they never go up <laughs> Regional reference. Um, <laughs> in addition to the increase of the, the materials they need to print comics, traditional retailers are vanishing. So mm. newsstands are closing all over America, and drugstores are some are going out of business, but also they're kind of transitioning their business to stop selling comic books to focus on magazines and other products. So the the traditional means through which Marvel and DC would be able to sell their comics to the public are drying up. And the comic book shop, as we know it, doesn't really exist yet. It would, oh. it would, it was a very, you start to get traction maybe the end of the 70s and the start of the, but the 80s is really the decade of the comic book shop. Mm. We talked about how the, uh, with our Moon Knight kind of deep dive, the comic book shop is what allowed Moon Knight to be a character. Because they could market Moon Knight and do a limited number of comics, which would be profitable when you're marketing and selling directly to comic book fans. Hmm. When you're trying to produce something for a on a mass market with a broad appeal, Moon Knight doesn't work. 
and you have to produce so many copies of a comic book for drugstores and 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 newsstands it's impossible for moon knight to be profitable with such a limited appeal when you the comic book comic book shop comes along bang you can start doing direct to um comic books uh, comic book fans um products and that's how we start to get more mature and adult themed kind of um comics mm. and that's how we get kind of the industry changing in the 80s but at this point in the 70s we are in this really weird time where the traditional retailers are gone and the 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 new the new kind of comic book shops have not arrived yet. So it's a real, it's Marvel being squeezed on both ends. And to save money, Marvel Comics has to cancel a slew of comic books. Um, a lot of the smaller, like the Inhumans, gets cancelled around this time, um, and a whole bunch of comics around that they just get they get dropped off and never to be kind of like revived until things get a little bit better in the eighties. Um, Planet of the Apes, which had been a decent seller for Marvel, that gets cancelled. Um, they had a, they had a comic book of that. Yeah, Marvel um, were very big in the seventies into adapting popular sci-fi um, sci-fi movies mm. wherever they could, um, and they would do the same in the eighties with cartoons. So Marvel uh, have the license to produce the Transformers comic books, the GI Joe comic books. Um, the Care Bears comic books, albeit in a different kind of format, um, and and those those kind of licensed comic books can can be good money spinners. And indeed, 1977, guess who they get the rights to do the comic book adaptation of? It's Star Wars. So Roy Thomas and Howard Chaikin come along, and they are given the the uh, the adaptation. Marvel adaptation of Star Wars. Now, no one could have predicted the success of the movie before it came out. Stanley only gave the green light to go along and bid for and do the Star Wars comic because he heard Alec Guinness was starring in the movie and Stanley liked Alec Guinness. Um, so that's why Marvel got into the Star Wars business. And the comic book of Star Wars, like, this is another thing we have to kind of take a moment to appreciate, Will. Yeah. We talked about how successful Star Wars was. Hmm. In the modern era, like when you go and see a great blockbuster, especially something that's that's kind of aimed towards, you know, kids and teens and stuff. When you come out of that, there's so much other ways you can kind of tap into your enjoyment of that movie, aren't there? Yeah. There's toys, there's games, there's video games, there's board games, there's 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 all this kind of extra stuff, merchandise and media that you can get into and enjoy. In the seventies, that didn't exist. Oof. Like the Star Wars, as we said, the Star Wars movie comes out. I think it's it's six to eight months before, or maybe a whole of the year before the toys are available. That's <laughs> because just unheard of. There's there's this thing called badge slapping, right? Where what they do is they take an existing toy, generic toy product, mm. and slap a Star Wars badge on it. Right, okay. They did this I a lot with... Yeah. yeah, they did this a lot with Star Trek, when the Star Trek was popular. Um, the, the rights were sold. No one was making models of the Enterprise. They just took a whole bunch of things, slapped Star Wars on it, Star Trek on it, and said, get the official Star Trek. One of them was... Uh, um, a helmet, like a bike helmet thing, <laughs> that had a siren on top. Right. Like a police siren. And they slapped a Star Trek badge on it and no. said, get the new Star Trek toy. 
<laughs> it's a helmet that there's a sound on it goes Nina Nina. You know, like <laughs> that is like shameful. And Star Star Wars was the same. There was an awful lot of of uh, bad slapping for that year, and, mm. and, and until until uh, they were able to actually make proper toys. So there's no ways in which to kind of I, if you're a fat, you you can't see that movie again. You'd have to wait until the 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 movie would get re released, which would happen over the next few years. It's there's no there's no video. You can't watch it on video. You can't watch it on television. There's no other way to like get into this movie. And at, the, at this time, however, one of the only ways to enjoy Star Wars again and re-enjoy it was Marvel were doing a Star Wars comic. Right, <laughs> okay. So that was incredibly popular. And it is credited as really being like the only profitable thing, like uh, just being a huge, huge, huge help to the bottom line of Marvel Comics in 1977, 1978 and beyond. Like in this time when we said they're being squeezed on both sides, people are beating down a door to go and get the Star Wars comic. That is bringing lots, and, and it's not set in the Marvel Universe, but it doesn't matter. It's bringing cold, hard cash into the company that's helping to keep things uh, keep things going. Um, they would adapt the Star Wars movie over about seven or eight issues, and then after eight issues, they just gotta make it up. <laughs> uh, amazing! So, um, what you had a, like a completely tangential story, or something. original original stories, original Star Wars stories um, that feature the uh, the Star Wars characters, but written by the Marvel Comics gang. Um, and I believe like Lucas kind of made them aware of things like the Clone Wars mm. and stuff like that, but they were told to don't you can't do this and you can't do that because that's going to be for the other movies. Yeah, because he had a whole plan, didn't he, in terms of the overarching stories and stuff that would happen. So right? he allegedly says. So he, well, yeah, this is this is goes into the he's not actually great pile. <laughs> in seventy seven, Marvel also publishes a comic book adaptation of Logan's Run. And that was actually tipped to be... They thought that was going to be the more popular series. They thought Logan's Run was going to be a more popular movie than Star Wars, and they thought that would be probably a really good one to do. Well, I mean, you did in that one, you did have... uh, Who who was in that again? I can't remember women's names, Rob. Great. I'm glad we started down this avenue. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, And Marvel also introduced Godzilla... Now, no. unlike Logan's run in Star Wars, Godzilla made his way into the Marvel Universe, where he would battle S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, and uh, this was Godzilla, King of Monsters. Uh, and that series would uh, run for a little while as well. Um, 1970s, as well as we had like a bunch of comics that got cancelled, 1977 sees the launch of two pretty prominent comic book series. What If debuts... In 1977, um, and cements the Marvel multiverse for the first time. That's something that we looked at in our live shows, the creation of What If. um, And, of course, it starts with Spider-Man. What if Spider-Man had joined the Fantastic Four? And we get a story about the Fantastic Five. Um, That's an interesting way of kicking off the the Marvel multiverse. And then um, Black Panther gets his first kind of the first comic book named after him. Black Panther, as we talked about in our Black Panther episode, had been um, the star of Jungle Tales, which had been renamed Jungle Tales, starring the Black Panther. Well, Jungle <laughs> Tales was was kind of axed, and then it was, and then Black Panther was relaunched in his own comic book, Black Panther issue one, 
and Jack Kirby had returned to the company to write and draw the Black Panther comic. After his falling out with Stan Lee and everybody, he went off to DC Comics and he created things like um, Dark Side uh, and Mr. Miracle and the 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 the, uh, the new gods of the fourth world. Uh, and then, guess what? Uh, Jack Kirby had a falling out again. He fell out with Yay. everybody over there and left DC and then had to come back to Marvel um, and they got him onto the Black Panther. Um, and uh, the big, there's not, this is not really an era of like big events or big story arcs. But 1977, we get one. Um, one of the most significant, probably, Avengers stories. Um, before Thanos, there was another galactic monster that threatened mm. the entire universe. And we got an incredible crossover where the original futuristic Guardians of the Galaxy travelled all the way back to 1977 to team up with the Avengers to face a threat from their time that was going to destroy all of reality. Um, a monster with the powers of a god. It was called the Korvax Saga. Uh, it was a huge story. And 1977 was a huge year in Marvel Comics. Tons and tons and tons of messages and letters about this movie. We couldn't have... I wouldn't have believed this, really, Will. I, no, I, we I, would I wouldn't st- believe it either. Yeah, I thought we would struggle to find people that wanted to talk to us about the 1977 amazing Spider-Man movie, the first Spider-Man movie of all time, and yet it came flooding in. You can drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear what you think of the projects we're covering. Um, we'll always announce what the next project is at the end of the show. You guys can write in and tell us all about it. Um, and you can do that by sending an email to marvel versus marvel at gmail.com or indeed you can um, find us on Twitter at Marvel versus and send us a quick little bit of feedback there. Um, how have you been enjoying the show? What are your favourite episodes? What do you hope we'll cover in the future? We want to hear it all. And Will, I know you've got a mailbag on your lap this week. <laughs> oh, God, I can't feel my legs. That's how good this mailbag is. Right, first one is from Chris Oxy Oxenbury. Oxy! Oxy Oxenbury. Chris Oxenbury. Chris Oxy is a uh, tremendous uh, comedian, stand-up comedian from the uh, Midlands. Oh, and nice. he is also the artist behind that piece of artwork I commissioned for Christmas uh, this this year gone. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Excellent. Anyway. I think it's I think it's as finished as it's going to be. I think what you've already seen is it. Well, I can't wait to show everyone that. <laughs> yeah. It it is very good. Chris Oxy Oxy said, "I loved this show so much, so many memories. I got a pair of red marigolds and drew webbing on them. What? I, I used to get I used to get wool and put it in fairy." <laughs> Fairy liquid, a fairy uh, washing up liquid bottle and thread it through the nozzle as web shooters. Never worked. I had an action man and had found a Spider Man suit that fit him, but no mask, so I wrapped a red balloon round him, round his head, and drew the webbing with bio and tip. That's incredible. He basically looked like an asphyxiated <laughs> action man. Also, he is in one of, he is one of he is one of the Von Trapp kids of the Sound of Music, which obviously we've said. Uh, Oxy, thank you very much for what might be the greatest letter we've ever had. <laughs> that was uh, fantastic. Yeah, there's so many oh. so many different ways of of kind of trying to. I remember, you know, did not having access to a lot of um, before. Before, like the X Men cartoon, mm. I guess the Batman cartoon. Although I never really, I don't, I never really liked the um, 
The Batman animated series action figures. I never liked them. They were always a bit drab and dull. Yeah, um, yeah. The but but before the X Men nineties cartoon, the Spider Man nineties cartoon, there weren't. You, it was hard to get hold of an awful lot of like cool action figures, and so I do I do remember and sympathise with this thing of trying to like take something that already exists and turn it into a superhero. That was a big part of my youth. We got another one from uh, Steve Fitzpatrick who said, "This is the Spider Man I grew up with." Intermittently, as I could probably as I could only watch it when it happened to be on TV. Haven't seen it in years, and it probably hasn't aged well. Never read the comics, so this was my reference. Always assumed Peter Parker was supposed to be a grown man like this guy rather than a teenager. <laughs> Don't recall much about the storylines apart from some sumo-type guys at one point. The effects are probably well ropey now, too. Sideways camera to show him crawling up buildings, That's etc. not what happened, Steve Fitzpatrick! I know. If pushed to rate it, I'd say 7 out of 10, just behind Kenny Everett's Spider-Man sketches. Brilliant. Thank you, uh, Steve. I think that's quite deep. I mean, it, it sounds obvious, but people today wouldn't understand this thing of you can only watch it when it happened to be on TV. Yeah, that was such a mad thing, because now it's like, oh, I, I missed it. I could either get the DVD, I could yeah. find clips online, I could watch it on a streaming service, it, or, you know, go through other means. It's like... We're at a point where it's very hard to misplace media. Well, like I like I said about the, the the behind the paint section when Star Wars came out, there were no other ways of engaging with it. Mm. You saw it at the movie, you went home. That's it. You can never experience it again. You have to wait and wait and wait and wait until it's back on at the cinema. Um, my 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 two godsons are right as this minute as we speak away on holiday in a caravan. Um, they are six years old and ten years old, smashing, smashing, smashing boys. Now they have grown up with Netflix, tablets, Disney Plus, streaming, 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 YouTube, YouTube, YouTube. They're like the novelty of of television in this caravan blows them away. Oh, they that's blows wonderful. them away. They're like, they, I remember the first year they went and they were like, oh, like what's going to be on next? Because they're not in control of it. It's oh, to them, wonderful. it's this wild thing that TV is just kind of rolling yeah. and you just happen to watch whatever's on. Yeah. And there are these channels that have different things. Like they have never experienced that before because they don't have they don't have a TV license and a regular TV at home. So it's this yeah. that is fascinating to them. And they're also quite fascinated by adverts as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jaguar Snake said, kind of funny that the first movie is called Spider Man Strikes Back. Then it's the sequel not. is the second Wow. It's not. The first one is called The Amazing Spider-Man. Spider-Man, yeah. Then the sequel is Return of the Dragon or something. I loved them as a kid. Super hokey and cheap. It's great. Uh, thank you, Jaguar Snakes. But you were wrong. Wrong. <laughs> Very wrong. Who's next, yeah. Will? Next, we have uh, Anil Desai, who said, I saw them all. As bad as they were, it was the only live-action Spider-Man we had, so I was into it. I often joke that he shot Jim ropes out of his wrists, and yet once in costume, he looked like he never went to the gym. <laughs> Peter looked much stronger in his casuals. I actually got to see Spider-Man in Hong Kong at the cinema on release. I was always disappointed that he mostly just fought robbers and muggers rather than his main comic book villains. The 70s cartoon was heaps more fun back then, but again, also a proper grown-up man's voice as Spidey had the perfect sarcasm and jokes, but kind of felt like it wasn't Peter in that suit. 
There's a very trippy psychedelic episode in the last series. Not sure how much merch in the, in the 70s live action series spawned. I don't recall having any of it. I think it aired on Fridays on BBC Two. BBC Two on a Friday around 6pm also aired Monkey, Harold Lloyd, which I watched under their entertaining spell of magic, magical physical action. In comparison, Spider-Man was awful. I think those shows were my first where I began to create jokes and make funny commentary on it for my schoolmates. So I guess you could say it wasn't all bad. It found the comedian in some of us back then. I think there's um, this uh, really interesting thing about merch. And, and I, I, I know Migos had a spot. I mean, it wasn't probably from the, the CBS series, but there was a Migo um, had a line of superheroes that included all the superheroes, DC and Marvel, which is all Migo made, made action figures of everything. Um, but they were the action figures that had cloth bodies. So they had like oh. hard, hard rubber heads, hands, yeah. and feet. Yeah. Uh, sorry, arms and arms, arms and legs and things. But they were all held together by elastic bands in the middle, and then they had like a cloth body and stuff. That's weird. Cloth That's clothes. F- yeah, I remember those. Simon James said, "I loved this as a kid. I was fascinated by how they got him to climb up a wall. They paid him. They paid him a they lot of money." They said, "Nicholas Hammond, you haven't worked since the Sound of Music. I'll give you this check to climb up that wall." <laughs> that's how the film industry works my memories were every scene was the same spider-man would crawl up a flat roofed office warehouse building where the bad guys are just stood waiting for him <laughs> and then he beats so them he, be- he beats them up with low-grade kung fu the worst kicks you've ever seen in your life yeah, yeah. That's very true simon yeah thank you very for true Mark Logan said, I watched all three multiple times at the cinema. First release and re-release of the Spidey Double Bills and are supporting features with Sinbad and Eye of the Tiger re-releases, I think, and other movies of the late 70s, early 80s. They were bad. I remember <laughs> thinking, where's the Goblin? The Vulture? Doc Ock? Why can't he fight anyone with powers? I hoped Dragon's Challenge would at least have loads of really cool martial artists with different weapons, but nope, all rubbish. Spidey hanging by the world's thickest spider web around his waist from a copter was a really moment. Yeah, that that thick white rope that's meant to be spider's web is something else. Yeah, Yeah. thank you for writing in, uh, Mark. Who's next, Will? Next up, we got Danny11M. Not related to Danny10M. No, (laughs) they hate each other. They hate each other. One's a, one's a, he's definitely in the improved version. Family feuds. Family feud. I had Spider-Man Strikes Back and the Dragon's Challenge as a double bill VHS. Yes. Still remember how excited I was when I saw the box for sale in Woolworths, RIP. First, watching these around the same time as Burton's Batman films did not do them any favours. <laughs> it was nice to see a live-action Spidey for the first time, but it was not anything like the comics I loved or the animated series. Where were the supervillains? Well, he was fighting against regular guys and some uni students who decided to make a nuclear bomb as a protest against nuclear weapons. What? I remember that one so that's, vividly. That's mad. That's mad. Yeah, it was, we need to show the world how dangerous it is that you can make nuclear bombs, and we shall do that by stealing nuclear stuff and making a bomb. Uh, I kind of get it, but it's like that feels like a very first draft plan that should get shouted down immediately. <laughs> the webbing was just rope nets, and even the stuntmen lacked agility. I know it's a product of, of its time budget, but it was just one of many live-action Marvel disappointments until the technology caught up with the ambition. Um, okay, well, yes, thank you um, for that, Danny. I, I don't know. I, don't I, know. I remember watching it as a young person and not feeling disappointed. 
I'm not saying I'm not saying you make any of those points are, are wrong. You are accurate with all of them. But I don't know if that feels like a more mature adult looking back with a perspective kind of take on it. As a kid, I saw a spider a guy in a Spider-Man costume and he had webs and he climbed up a thing and he fought ninja people. I'm not saying I loved it and thought it was better than the cartoons, but I don't know if I came away thinking I'm disappointed by this and oh I can't wait for the technology to increase the quality of the I don't think I don't know I'm not sure it, it depends on it's a very hindsighty thing to say I think it I think it, it it's completely accurate it's completely accurate but yeah I don't know I think maybe when I was a child I don't really think I don't really feel like that when I was a child I had a fever read the letters letter boy Okay, I'll stop singing Pink Floyd. Uh, Peter J, finally, final letter. P- Peter J said, it will come as no surprise to anyone that I love this film. Okay, in case you're not in on the running joke, Peter J loves trash from the olden days. It's his favourite thing in the world. I, I see nothing wrong with that, and I fully support that. That's a wonderful thing to be into. A mixture of nostalgia and actually liking it. I think it's one of those films that is truly entertaining if you get a few people together watching it. I actually like Nicholas Hammond, although he is a lot older than the comic book Peter Parker. I like that the first time he uses his wall-crawling abilities is because of instinct. He just sort of does it to get out of the bad situation. Totally agree with this. I, 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 I agree. That's, I like that. Isn't that the same in all of them, though? All the I movies? Don't think, mm, I don't think so. I, don't, I, I think he accidentally does it and then realizes, why, why is my hand gripping onto things? And then goes to an alley and goes, ooh, I'll try doing this. This, he's being checked. We'll get onto it, obviously. But he's being chased and then does it without thinking. Which I thought, yeah, I, I, I agree with Peter J. Directly from the comics. Is it? Mm-hmm. Well, we'll get onto that, obviously. Sort of in survival mode, doesn't even know he has the power until then. And the wall crawling in this is pretty good. I love the fight sequence where he leaps off onto walls and then the POV shots where you just see Spider-Man. Yes, hands. Yeah. it's creepy. It's yes. like uh, Halloween. It's like a horror movie. <laughs> yeah. The POV of the villain, yeah. Awesome. I think this is still used lows in Spider-Man movies from the last couple of decades too. I kind of like that you don't you don't see the bank robbers, just the escape. And that wonderful con- uh, conversation in JJ's office in the Daily Bugle where Peter Parker backs himself into a corner talking about Spider-Man's costume and strength and web-slinging and then has to go home and create a costume. I like that too. That was good. Also, that look Robbie gives JJ after he asks Spider-Man. What sort of a name is that? <laughs> Considering that JJ came up with only moments ago, I do love the villain's logo too. The badges everyone wears and the ninja's costumes with it on. I could probably drone on and on about how this entertains me, but I'll stop now. I'm probably just going to have a beer and watch this now. Keep up the great work, guys. Thank you as ever, Peter J. One of our top, top, top contributors, I believe, Will. <laughs> this is the very first man to ever support us on patreon and that's a really important thing to do patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel where we have uh, some incredible bonus content for you where our community lives and the community is supported by the foundation the pillars of marvel versus marvel the podcast will not be on the air without the likes of peter j brandon schmagilski randall schmidt zach thomas bastabir sam bindi soupy Jack Davis, Billy Brown, Zubair Q, David Fan. The list keeps growing. They are the world-class wrecking crew. Welcome to that David Fan, who joins the world-class wrecking crew, who becomes a top-tier elite member of the podcast. He's our latest fan. 
He's our, no, he's sorry. Our, he's our latest at the top, top, top level. He's the latest yeah. to recognise mm. that this community demands support and demands yes. that you do the right thing. And you guys don't have to be a top, top, top tier supporter. Mm. Very few people are qualified. Um, but you can still support us on patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. And there are 75 bonus episodes available right now this month we released we, we do a full-length bonus episode every single month um a deep dive into a marvel storyline and event and this month it was secret invasion the comic book secret invasion mm. will it was an intense episode it, it, it was and we went we got to go back and forth on 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 who is a scroll who isn't a scroll? Is Wolverine a scroll? Is Spider Man a scroll? Is Nick Fury a scroll? It was intense. You kept, you kept asking me who is a scroll, and I'm there going, "Look, it could be anyone." <laughs> That's the whole point of the bloody story. Yeah. How do you think it stacks up? You know, this 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 year we've released um, deep dives onto things like the Kang Dynasty, mm. um, and we had Civil War last year. Where do you think Secret Invasion ranks in in these kind of massive Marvel stories? I can't rank them, but it's easily among the better ones. Yeah, it's it does this great element of paranoia. Can't be able to trust anyone, which is a great. We haven't done that kind of thing. No, uh, handle that been kind a lot, of thing. Been a lot of like thing. smash power action. This was... smash power action, or a dictator takes over the earth, or 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 something happens like this. A, a great big event that changes things. There's no creepy underlying subterfuge going on, and which makes you doubt everything. And that's what yeah. I love. I think the best. Part of the secret invasion isn't actually the the limited series, which shows you the scrolls attacking and the fight back. I think the mm. best part of the secret invasion is this like multiple year build up, this yeah. conspiracy that builds. We go into all of that. That's part of the deep dive, and then the actual fight is part of the the invasion is part of the deep dive, and then, I mean, what an ending! Talk Whoa. about an ending you don't see coming. <laughs> yes. Oh God. No, I, I, I won't. I won't you say won't anything, believe yeah. who takes over in the Marvel <laughs> universe and becomes the most powerful person all of a sudden. And we oh get that boy. deep. We, we deep dive the whole thing over on on Patreon. Um, seventy five bonus episodes right now. So there are thirty eight full length bonus. Can you believe we've done thirty eight deep dive bonus episodes? Will we've been um, too busy, boys? There's also 33 mini-shows like Obscure Marvel, where me and Will have a lot of fun um, <laughs> exploring the most ridiculous comics and stories and characters in the Marvel Universe. And also on there, you can get early access to every single show three days before the rest of the world. Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel, where you can get all that bonus content. And hey, if it's the 31st of July, if it's release day when you're hearing the sound of my voice, for today only, you can get access to a free trial, seven days of being able to access all that bonus content for free on patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. We're only doing it in July. This episode comes out on the very last day of July, um, but it's still worth noticing that if you if you hear this on that day, you can zoom yourself over to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. You can get a seven-day free trial of the bonus episode tier, the VIEP tier, and you can then just at your leisure over that seven days, you can listen to The Secret Invasion. You can go back and listen to our big coverage of Kang Dynasty, of Maximum Carnage, of the Civil War, all all of that is available at your fingertips for seven days on patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel and on the other side of this break me and will are going to give the deep dive treatment to their very first spider-man movie 